Oh, 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 cheeky monkeys. Get on with it. Toffee, toffee. It's black cap. Hashtag Buckheaders. That's magnificent. Hello, John. Hello and welcome to Burkett Wonderland. We are a Chris Carpenter Appreciation Society and tonight we've all come dressed as pirates. First up, it's Josh the Pirate. Arr, Josh. Arr, Danny. You're not very piratey. Um, I, I can't help it. No, I didn't get the memo, to Did be you? honest. No, I've got a peg leg on, but no one can see it. Oh, excellent. Right, next up, it's Le Quiff. I don't know what Le Quiff for, it stands for in English, but is that a French way of something saying piratey, Simon? Yeah, it's just the funniest way to say uh, quiff, I think. So, oh, uh, right. you anyway? You good? I'm good. I'm very good. You're right. I'm I'm tickety boo, as the great Billy Connolly regularly says. And finally, it's uh, talking about uh, dirty old pirates with uh, plenty of booty. It's Gav from She War. You're right, Gav. How you doing? I'm still good since Simon asked me. <laughs> if anything changes, I will let you know. Well, things change quite quickly these days, Dan. It's social media world. Do you know what I mean? I love it when people ring up me and Lee on talk radio and uh, they ask him, how are, you? how are you? He goes, none of your business. <laughs> oh, they get the up and think he's being rude. Well, he's not, is he? There you go. That's the introductions done in 1 minute 18. That is some kind of record. First thing we're going to do, start off with Simon. And we're going to, oh, first thing we need to do, people, dear listener and viewer, for future reference, gentlemen, Lacazette is 28, Abami Young is 30, Ursula is 31, because I've been listening back to old pods and uh, no one seems to have any idea how old any of them are because it changes day by day. So yeah, keep that little nugget. Will he be, won't he be 29 in the summer then if he's 28 Oh, now? yeah, then oh, that's nearly 30. That's terrible. That's awful. Right, Simon, the Palace game, 1-1. The goals, should we have won, were Palace lucky? Yeah, I mean, the goals, let's start with the Arsenal goal. I thought it was... Brilliant goal. Um, before that, you know, we were dictating tempo of the game, controlling possession. And then we saw what David Luiz is best at, you know, when he hits that ball out from the back. Lacazette, fantastic touch. And it, and the great thing about that goal is actually Lacazette, if you watch, he delays that pass by, you know, just a few seconds, just at his right time. So then Bomian can nip in, gets in there, and, you know, Pierre Pomian does what he does best. And from that point on, you know, we won the up. I thought we were cruising this. And the only thing I said was, you know, we need to kill this game. We didn't do it against Chelsea. Against Manchester United, we were almost aware of it. But we got that second goal. And that was my concern. I think I said it in the WhatsApp group to you guys. Like, we haven't killed this game. And sure enough, you know, Palace came back. They fought back. Um, the red card happened, which I'm sure we'll discuss more. Palace got their goal for that one moment where we switched off, you know. Kalasinac at that free kick. It needs to be a wait there to see that Meyer's going to receive the ball. He switched off and they scored. And in the end, down to 10 men, Celeste Park, I think we'll all agree, is not the easiest ground to go to. Uh, I think it was a well-battled point. But again, I think this, this for me is the, the thing I've taken in these five, six games under Arteta is not killing games and having a reliance on a bombing. I think that's the issue that needs to be resolved. When we're on top, you know, we need to be blitzing teams, you know, 2 3 nil. Liverpool and City are great at obviously the, the better teams than us at the moment. But that's where I think the team needs to improve. They need to be killing these games because at the moment, they're not quite fit enough to play the Arteta wants, the way Arteta wants for 90 minutes. Joshy Boy, your thoughts on the game. And Were you pleased to see that when Socrates makes an error, which he has made quite a few in the past, he seems to look very angry at it. He doesn't do what some other players do, where he makes an error and just goes, 
never mind. He was angry with himself, wasn't he? Yeah, I think they care a little bit more. I think we saw it against Frankfurt in Emery's last game that that centre-back pairing, and I'm sure Socrates was in that, they just didn't care when they conceded. And another thing of when we did concede that goal is, I'm sure some people have seen it, with Arteta on the sideline, he tells them where the free man is and he's shouting and shouting and shouting. The mm. fact that our defence doesn't react to that is one issue, but at least somebody is seeing it and that person is the manager. So we'll know that, as you say, the kind of fitness isn't there. Concentration isn't there either just yet. And I think that will come in time. We're still only, what, five games into Arteta's tenure? Yep. So it's still early days in that respect. And give him a pre-season. We expect to see those kind of errors worked out and almost not eradicated because football's football. But I'd hope to get a more stable, stable defence next season yeah they did they are looking good Gav did you see the game because I didn't I only saw much of the day highlights because I was busy snoozing I didn't go to bed till 10am that morning yeah no yeah no I watched it all live mate what's your thoughts on it and the the two points already covered well I mean two lads are spot on really uh, we really we was really dominating the play for the first 20-25 minutes like stupidly dominating the play and we should have really tried to have buried the game at that point, and we didn't. Uh, the goal was brilliant. Uh, like was said, it was a, a lovely ball from uh, Louise. It was a even better ball, I think, from Lacazette. And with Lacazette at the moment, he's doing everything right apart from getting the goals. He needs one to go in off his ass or off his elbow or or whatever. He needs a deflected. He needs something to get a goal to get him started, which. Hopefully he will do on Saturday. But, yeah, it, like I say, yeah, I just literally reiterate what the two boys said. We sort of run out of speed, run out a bit of puff, run out a bit of sharpness. Palace pushed up and condensed the game and pushed up more better as a unit, especially the second half. And it, you could see their goal was coming. Uh, and that was that, really. Uh, do you want to go on to the red card? Oh, we'll save that bit for a bit. Go move on to the um, okay. the say that to the end of the, the palacing. It's only one more question before that. The um, our goals near the end, we were so unlucky. It was so unlucky to score, wasn't it? What do you think Lacazette's problem is at the moment, or do you think it's not a problem? It's just bad luck. I think he's having a bit of bad luck, uh, and there is a little bit of lack of confidence in in what he's doing. He he's not pulling straight away he's he's holding off that split second and he's having a bit of bad luck but I'm really pleased with him under Arteta and under this formation and under trying to play the him Pepe Abangian and Ozil at the same time I think he's one of the ones that is really thriving under that system he's he's dropping deep to pick to pick the ball up he's protecting the ball well which nobody else we've got in the squad can do uh He's making intelligent passes, but like I say, I I just I you know I badly and like I say, as as you lot were probably chatting in the WhatsApp group, I was with a few of my mates, and everyone was saying Lacazette's having a great game here, great assist. He needs one to go in off his ass. He need, he needs a fluke. He needs a fluky goal, and once he gets that, he's he's going to roll because he's doing everything. I I believe he's doing everything whatsoever that Arteta's asking for him. Arteta must be so, so happy with how he's playing for the team. But 
obviously strikers that you know the money shot, and he he just ain't doing the money shot at the moment. Simon, do you think that there is any correlation between the way that I am Lacazette is playing and the way Giroud used to play? Because I'm just looking at Giroud's goals. You think he was with us for six seasons and or five and a half seasons. His sec his last season with us, he scored seven goals in twenty six games. The one before that, sixteen in forty. But then the one before that, 24 in 53, because he was adapting his game when he didn't have the other players around him to um, do all the hard work. And he was playing with his back to goal. Which, when he came to Arsenal, that isn't what he was doing, was it? And is, no. you think Lacazette's kind of doing the same thing? Yeah, I think to a degree. And, and I think part of the issue with Lacazette is, um, you know, with Aubameyang in the team, he really is sort of the main goal threat. And I think we saw, you know, for that first, for Arsenal's first goal, um, that's what Lacazette's you know, best attributes are is getting the ball, you know, picking the right pass and bringing other players into play. And when you've got a goal outlet like Aubameyang, you know, who's going to get you, looks like 30 goals a season, it's okay for Lacazette to be the 15, 16, 20 goals. And I agree with you. I think what will be interesting in these three games is when Aubameyang isn't there, Lacazette is going to be the main goal threat in that team. And whether Arteta said to him, look, you're going to have to play a slightly different role here, you know, you're going to have to do different things, whether we see a different Lacazette to the one there is at the moment. Because I think at the moment he is deliberately, you know, looking to get a Bomiang away and get him into play. And the two, you know, many of their goals often come through their link up. So I think in these three games, we might see a different Lacazette to what we've seen so far. And that could be the chance for him to end that goal drought that he's had so far. Hmm. Josh, what's your thoughts on that? On Lacazette as a whole, I think, as you say, uh, there's not a huge amount more I can kind of say about him. We have seen he's got a proven track record in terms of scoring goals. You know, it was not that long ago, he was our player of the season. So I think there's still a player there. And to be honest, if we've got any want to try and sell him, like some of our fans are asking for, he's going to need to at least show he can score goals because otherwise no one's going to buy him and we'll be stuck with a player that can't. So whilst we're in this kind of situation... It just makes sense. We've got to get Lacazette scoring. And as Gav said, he needs one desperately to go off on his go off his ass. The same as uh Ayu, you know, with his goal, to be honest, the Palace goal. So they weren't that sharp in front of goal. They just needed a lucky deflection. And he's exactly the same. The chance he had late on in the game against Geiter, their goalkeeper, and that superb double save. I think that's more on the goalkeeper's great save than Lacazette being out of form. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I think the fact that Simon says when now that Aubameyang's out for three games, it's Lacazette's kind of chance to shine. Otherwise, and we could easily happens. see. Well, we've got Martinelli, to be honest. I don't want to heap too much pressure on the guy, but as soon as that kid came in, he started scoring goals. And I think he's going to be in a position to be a backup striker next season. So there's definitely mm. pressure there behind Lacazette. A little bit of a Lacazette detail here. I was trying to get this done while um, Gav was giving me a tour of his house, of his mansion. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, too much gold everywhere, Gav. I didn't have you down as a golden diamond taps man. But right, this season, Lacazette has scored five, oh, ho- cheeky. five home Premier League games. Uh, no, five home Premier League goals this season, zero away. Last season, nine home Premier League goals, four away. And this is his first season, 11 home, three away. So he scored 25 home goals, seven away in two and a half seasons. Gav, is that is that good enough for someone who is who came to us as 
as a bit of a goal machine because when he was playing in the final week for Leon, he couldn't stop scoring. No matter where he was on the pitch, he was just magnificent. But he had Nabil Fakir playing behind him, didn't he? Setting up stuff like a like a dream. Mm, well, it's not. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, don't they? It's, it's not really what we'd expect or what we we need really right now. But at the same time, it's what he brings to the you know it's what he brings to the team it's what he brings to the 11 it's how he links up with uh, Bang Yang and how hopefully he'll link up with Pepe as well so I'd not really want to 100% judge him on the goals but it's clear that he has got the talent to score more I don't think anybody's denying that he's got the talent I just think there's just a little it's a little click and as I said earlier he needs a deflected shot, he needs a rebound off his arse, he, he needs something like that. Uh, and I, I think he can kick on. And I think he can be the sort of striker that's going to get... You know, I'm not saying he's going to be like an Henri or an Ian Wright or an Abang Yang or something like that, but he's definitely got the talent to be getting, you know, one in two, one in two and a half games. He should be getting that, but I think once things probably mm. settle down, it's going to be easier for everybody. Because I mean, whoever thought we'd see the day when Luis and Socrates would be two of our best players on the pitch at the same time—that's just that's just crazy. I think if we were winning games oh. as well, it would be less of an issue that Lacazette isn't scoring. I think it's the fact that so and so we're not killing games, and we need our strikers to no. score goals. If we would, you know, if Aubameyang was scoring a hat trick every game, and we're winning three nil. We don't care that Lacazette's not scoring at all. It's the fact we're not winning. No. Well, throughout Arsenal history, this has happened. When Alan Smith, goal machine, Ian Wright turns up, Alan Machine, uh, Alan Machine, Alan the Machine Smith, which no one's calling him, <laughs> changed his game and he ended up scoring very few goals a season to make get set Ian Wright up. Then we had the same with Giroud. Giroud came to us, he was 24 goals in the season, he was scoring loads of goals. And then Sanchez was there and others were there and he changed the way he was playing football. And now it seems Lacazette is doing it because if you look at that formation and you go, from young left, Pepe right, Lacazette up front, and go, who's getting all the goals? You'd think, well, obviously it's going to be Lacazette, but it's not. It's as we all know, it's a bomber young out on the wide that's getting the goals. He's, so, he's, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know whether he's dropping too far deep. I think he, he's almost sort of like playing. Sometimes it looks like he's almost playing as a number ten. Yeah, and then they're hoping that a Bangyang and Pepe are, are cutting in and cutting across to sort of fill the space between the uh, the left and right backs and the centre backs. It's almost that's how sort of Arteta wants to play him. And if you look at Man City, Man City often play without a number nine. They often play a game without, you know, without a proper striker on the pitch, really. Uh, so th- there is that. It's, it's whether or not Arteta's looking at the whole picture uh, or... He's looking, he just wants a number nine who's going to score goals. And I don't think that's what Arteta's looking at at the moment. Liverpool do it with Firmino, Firmino as well, don't they? You know, Firmino, you think, in that yeah. team. And 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 the goal against Palace is, you know, Lacazette's obviously doing what Arteta wants because he wouldn't keep picking him every week, you know. And, it, and the goal against yeah. Palace is a perfect example where by Lacazette just pulling out that bit and, you know, he brings the centre-backs with him. There's then that space because the centre-backs are pushed up, the full-back's still there, and Aubameyang, you know, makes that diagonal run right in that space. And that's exactly what he wants. So, as I said, I think I think it'll be interesting in these these three games, whether we see, you know, the team shift. Because Gav is right, so City, you know, we saw him against Man United, they didn't play a striker at all. 
when Jesus plays, they play differently. But when they play Aguero, they quite often have that number nine. It'd be interesting to see whether these three games, you know, Arteta goes to Lacazette, look, you're the number nine, you know, get in the box. Don't worry about coming deep to bring players in again. I want you to go out there and score the goal. So I'm interested to see that, particularly on Saturday against Sheffield United. So I think the gist here is we all think Lacazette should have as much time as he want. And he's just because he's not scoring goals doesn't mean he's not playing well. Yeah, he's doing his job for the team, I think. Okay, yeah, exactly. And like I say, I'm, and oh, sorry, I was going to say the only other option at the moment is literally to put Martinelli up front, drop Lacazette, and put Zaka on the left. Uh, so, uh, the, the, the young kid on the left, which I don't think is going to happen either. But Zaka. you never know. I always get him mixed yeah. up. I still playing this player called Sack. Was there one called Sacco there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, too, too many names that sound the same. Right, uh, remember the time we had it was Trevor Stephen and Trevor Stevens. That was just unnecessarily awkward, and they both played for England <laughs> and Everton. I think just no need for it. Right, Simon, at least I can pronounce both of them. <laughs> Simon, move on to uh, the circles in which you move. Working at the, uh, you can tell people where you work if you want. Everyone should know where you work. What's the thoughts in the media and you personally about the red card and the fact that so many other people seem to be. Uh, Getting away. In fact, I've named this podcast. Does VAR have a scouse accent? <laughs> so, yeah. What's your thoughts on on Aubameyang and how the others are getting away with it? And um, well, a definite red card for me. I thought um, in real time, I'm a bit like the uh, the referee where I thought, oh, that's the yellow. You know, strike attack got it wrong. And I thought it was interesting. They highlighted on match the day how if you notice the um, the Palace bench don't sort of jump up. And react it's because you don't until you see that angle from the front on, you know where you've got Maya running that way, and you see a bombing come across. Then you see a bad attack in real time. I don't think you really see it. Um, the club obviously <laughs> didn't appeal as much because they didn't want the red card overturned. There's a sort of an FA regulation where you can deem that the punishment is excessive, and they thought, you know, given the fact, as you pointed out, there's been examples where they've been overturned um, the fact the referee originally thought it was a yellow that they could have a chance to get the ban reduced they failed with that as we found out today um, and, and the key for me is what you highlight there is the consistency um, I mean I watched the Spurs game on the same day on Saturday as well it was half five kick wasn't it and I thought the Robertson tackle was pretty you know I think he does get a bit of the ball which probably saves him but that again is studs up and is late mm. um, and, and, and the issue we have with refereeing and we all have refereeing is we want consistency. And even with VAR, we're not getting consistency. And that is a problem. And if we isolate that decision, you know, not looking on the wider context, for me, it's correct. It's a red guard. It probably should stay as a three-game ban um, and we move on. But the issue is consistency. And even with VAR, we don't have consistency with referees. Wasn't it the first time in the, the implementation of VAR that a referee actually went over to, to have a look at the monitor in 2020? I mean, in this season, it took until twenty twenty. That wasn't the. That was at Palace. That was um, in an FA Cup game. He didn't. The ref didn't go and have a look at it in this one. Um, oh, no, no, he didn't for the Palace one. But I mean, in general, no. yeah. Really but again, for that as well. I mean, the ref is right by the monitor there. And if it's a decision where he's gone yellow and the guy's saying red, I, I really find it baffling that they don't go and look at the monitor. It takes like thirty seconds just to go and have a look. And then that way, I think people would almost more. Well, I personally would accept it more because then the on-field referee has still made the decision. It's not someone in Stockley Park because he's watched it again. Well, you know, I think, I think well, things the, like, the, the, ref, the ref's seen it from another angle, hasn't he? That's what you, that's what you want. If the ref's going over mm. and he's getting, he's, he's getting the, 
the angle well, we he's score. getting the full he's getting the VAR and he's getting mm. it from front side behind and all that he's getting it from four different camera angles mm. then the ref is actually seeing what he might not have seen in real time exactly yeah so like so go on oh shut up but I agree with you I just had to tell you <laughs> no no but that is issue and then it's then it's the referee making it rather than some bloke in Stockley Park who we you know, we don't even see. And, and it keeps it contained as for those people at the ground. I think the, a lot of the frustration now, I mean, we saw Palace fans put up a banner, is that it feels like someone who's not even there, who sat in, you know, at a junction off the M25, making decisions about a game that's not, you know, miles away from him. Very true, Josh. The, the thing that annoys me most, I mean, apart from the fact that the World Cup should have set a precedent for this, I know they've slightly changed how VAR is implemented, like they have in the Champions League. I know in the FA Cup, if the, if the ground had VAR, it was used. If the ground didn't have VAR, it wasn't used. That's also made people go, what the hell is going on? But the thing that bugs me the most is those bloody, those contraptions that they wheel out that looks like a robot from some 1960s science fiction thing. Um, probably cost about 20 grand each and the screen is, my, my, my monitor here is a 32-inch 2K monitor. Only cost me 300 quid. <laughs> cost the listeners 300 quid. Thank you very much for that. Um, my old numbers neck. I was using a TV. So that thing has cost so much money. First of all, the screen should be bigger. And the World Cup set a precedent for this, didn't it? I'm saying that word wrong. They didn't set a, a precedent, a precedent. Oh, I can't say it. Gab, it's because you're here. You've got to believe Don't fucking blame me. <laughs> no one mentioned his Shall one. I just get what's it's in your mouth. <laughs> I had four sausages before I got up. It's lovely. Um, Josh, oh. make sense of what I just said if you can. Good luck. Uh, yes. So the F, I can, I can do, I, can, I roughly know what you're talking about, Danny. The, the FA, the FA certainly changed or at least do it differently to everyone else because, you know, that's the way with the English FA are. You know, we, we know best, so we're going to do it our own way, not the way that has been. Most of the early World Cups, isn't it? Because the English yeah. FA were, were superior to everyone else. <laughs> yep. So we knew what we were doing. And yeah, they've got egg on their faces now, I think, because we know the technology works. It's just the people using it that's the problem. Uh, we, we know we don't get consistency from referees even beforehand. You know, Mike Dean would manage a game completely different to Craig Pawson. And it might even just change the complete result based on how they manage certain games. And we're getting the same issue with VAR because you've got the guy up in Thunderbird 5 talking about what he's doing and trying to explain to the ref the angle he's got over, you know, just voice. It's the reason why we kind of do this on video now. It's because you can be, you can express it more. It's just easier to go look at the monitor. This is the angle I've seen. This is what I think I've seen. And as well as, a ref only having one angle. I think they've also got the kind of the feel of the tackle, if you know what I mean. Especially confident. in that. You, yeah, you've got a bit more context around the whole thing. You know, when we watch it back, we go, oh, we don't get the concept of the speed that the tackle went in at as that's well. The card, wasn't it? Because that's what the referee yeah. the yellow card. Yeah, and I think you get a better referee as well if you tell the ref to go and have a look at the monitor. He can see his mistake. He can go, okay, be... In the next game, I'll try and get a better position for when I see these kind of tackles because I know the angle I need to be at to see where the contact's going to be <coughs> and make a better decision. But for the moment, it just seems to be a lot of arrogance from the referees to the way that they've implemented it. Or the it's not the FA, it's a PGMOL, isn't it, that put v, that did VAR rather than the FA. 
decided how they were going to put it in. So I think it's, it's more of an issue for them rather than the technology because everyone else seems to have got it sorted. Yes, they, they'll make mistakes as well because nobody's perfect. But yeah, the Aubameyang one is the right decision. It's, it's a red card. I think we yeah. can come on to whether or not we think it should have been appealed or whether it should have been rescinded based on other tackles we've seen in the league. Mm. But it comes down to consistency again. Yeah, Gareth, your thought. First of all, Dan, with what Josh just said, do you think it's worth appealing? Because we knew we weren't going to get away with it. But do you think compared to other ones that were looked at by VAR and VAR went, nope, no problem. Arms looked at VAR, changed from a yellow to a red, that they should have looked at that and gone, yeah, two-game ban or even a one-game ban. Because it wasn't really violent conduct, was it? It was silly. It was late. But like, like um, I think even one of the other two just said, even the Crystal Palace bench didn't go mental, did they? I no, I mean, the the other thing is, I think if that was on the other side of the pitch, then I don't think he would have even jumped in how he jumped in. I think that Aubameyang's sole fault of there was making sure it looked good for him tracking back in front of our tower. <laughs> uh, really? No, I do, honestly. Yeah, of course, yeah, because that's what our tower wants him to do. He, he wants... You know, he wants him to track back and make them them kind of tackles. So I think that was his sole reason for going in. Or to make sure that he doesn't get asked to do it again. Hopefully. Uh, well, we'll definitely learn by it. But, I mean, if you go back to sort of like right Ian Burkamp, right, when they got red cards, they went in with a bit of stick and a bit of malice. Yeah, and I just didn't get... And I, and I ain't getting that feeling with him. I think he's... Unfortunately, I think he's a little bit too soft sometimes. So it is to say it was out of character. It is very, very true there. Really, I don't think he meant to do anything but get for the ball. He's overstretched. The player's knocked it on. He's a little bit late, and that's it. And what bothers me is if a player gets a yellow card, you can't appeal it after the game. But if a player gets a red card, a yellow card during the game, they can appeal it there and then and give them a red. It's just all the, all the rules and regulations are just completely mixed up. And what I'd like to see when it comes to VAR is I'd like, if there is a contentious issue like that, I want to see the ref have a look. I want to see the ref, you know, I mean, because you're waiting two, three minutes anyway. So the minute it's blown up and, the, you know, VAR wants to have a look at this, the ref's got plenty of time to go over there and I want to see the ref looking at what the VAR people are doing and I want to see the ref making the decision on what he's seen. I don't want to see these idiots in a van bloody miles away making a decision on the game. I mean, you go back to the game before that when, <laughs> when uh, you know, bloody Xhaka uh, got away with absolute murder all game because the ref wasn't giving anybody a yellow card for anything. But he actually made for a better game. Because the ref, as, you know, like I say, as one of the other lads said then, the ref sets the tone of the game. The ref sets his stall out. If you tackle from behind, you're getting a yellow. Now, that ref, I think uh, it was Agu for Palace. I think he's got the record now for seven fouls without a booking in the, in the Premier League game this year. Because oh. the ref was setting a standard about what he feels was a booking. And yeah, so like I said, I was I was very, you know, I'm not saying you look back at it, yeah, that's a red card. You look at the tackles that have been against Pepe, 
you know, he's had probably two or three of them. You look at the Liverpool game where the fella was clearly studs up over the ball, you know, hit him just above the, you know, on the shin. It, there's no consistency. And that's what upsets fans. That's what upsets people watching the game is no two refs are refereeing the game the same. No two VAR decisions in a game are the same either. And you add them both together and it's just it's just completely frustrating. Completely frustrating. Agree. Right, quicker one from all three of you. Josh, would you keep VAR or would you put it in the bin? Oh, I'd keep VAR, bin the refs. <laughs> it's the thing. It's the, yeah, technology works. It's, you know, we, it was clearly that Aubameyang put in a red card tackle there and the referee got it wrong. But at least let that referee see the issue he's made or the, pro- the, the fault he's made and correct it. Mm. Simon? Uh, no, I'd get rid of it. Was it? Do you think it's killing me? That's the five storm question coming up later. So I don't yeah, I just I feel it's taking. I think Lampard made the point, you know, the other week. It said it's just it's killing, you know, a lot of the atmosphere from players, the bench, the fans, particularly with goals, where it's like you sort of celebrate and then you're not really celebrating, and then you're celebrating goals not going in. It's just a bit like ugh, I don't know. I I just don't feel. I don't feel enough of a benefit from having it. And I think I just preferred the game without it and with its warts and alls. And yeah, I just don't, don't, not being a fan of it. And I'd, I'd just get rid, I think. I feel exactly the same way. Gav, how do you feel about it? And do you think that maybe it's helped a certain team up in the, uh, the Northwest um, win their first title oh, yeah. since most people were born? Yeah, unfortunately. Did you, uh, did you see the Grobbler story on that? Nope. Bye. <laughs> Right, basically, I think he'd done it on Sky or BT. Uh, basically, when he had his testimonial, there was a, a South African witch doctor was in the ground, and the South African witch doctor said, uh, "This was they wanted Grobelar wanted another year's contract," and the South African witch doctor turned around and said, "You'll never win the league unless you give him uh, unless Grobelar's here." Right. Anyway. That year was 1990. We won it in 91, and then he left. And they haven't won the league since. Anyway, last year, Grobelar was playing a celebrity uh, celebrity thing, <laughs> and he turned up, and he urinated in a water bowl, and he played in goal. First half, he splashed the urine on one set of goalposts, and the other second half, he splashed the urine on the other goalposts. And now it looks like they're going to win, because that was the way to break the... Uh, the hoodoo voodoo. Well, Barry Fry did the same thing with the Wii. He did that when he went to Birmingham. He weed in all four corners of the, the pitch because someone said mm. there was um, a curse put on it. Anyone else heard that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah sure no, ben, I heard that. But sure, Ben Fika have the same curse on them as well. Well, there you go. Mm. But yeah, no, have, have, a look, have a look for it. So, like I say, it's, it's quite, an inter- it's quite a, a weird story, really. But no, with regards to VAR, it's nobody wants to come home from a game or watch a game where you feel you've been cheated when the fella's like two metres offside mm. and he scored the winner. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see a, a team winning a game because their players dived and no one's touched him. Uh, we had that stuff so with, with Man United where the ball went about oh. three over the line they pulled it back in again. So I agree with putting the sensor in the ball for knowing if it went over the line. That sort of stuff, I think, has improved the game. But VAR... 
Yeah. It's killing it because you, you, there's no point celebrating. Yeah. I've seen people tweeting going, I don't celebrate anymore. There's no point. It was bad enough when you used to celebrate. And then you didn't realise it's offside and you look like a right tit. Now it's turned into, I mean, it's much like love NFL. It's turned into NFL. It's, Something's happened. Oh, we're no, waiting for a decision. The, th- the thing is, is, it should work. But when they're getting, what bugs me about it is when a player's scored and they're scrolling back and, you know, one hair of his, you know, a hair hanging out of his He's nostril is offside, <laughs> right? Or his armpits offside, right? Or his little fingers offside by a millimetre. Like, drop me out of all that. Do you know what I mean? You know, unless the player's, you know, at least a foot offside, linesman decision stands. But they, they're just not, in, they're, they're just not implementing it right. Do you know I mean, we've got the worst set of referees and lines people that this country's probably ever had. Wasn't there right. no and, um, English referees at the last World Cup, something like that? Yeah, no, exactly. Like I say, and with regards to that, also, yeah, the the VIR people are just doing not any favours. <laughs> Cal's been interrupted. I've been interrupted by you on my seat on the computer. Go on, then, mate. Leave Daddy alone. Thank you. Did Thank you, have, little monkey. Did he have any thoughts on VAR, Gav? Yeah, no, he actually said uh, uh, VAR's rubbish. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to check it at the moment, I'm sitting on your seat on the sofa playing on your laptop. Well, there you go, people. So, conclusive proof that VAR should be put in the bin. Would you put it in the bin, Gav? No, because I hate people diving for penalties. And this is preventing people diving for penalties. And that's what I can... The only thing that I can see is the, is the diving for penalty thing. But... When it comes down to the penalties, we've had a couple go. Well, I know we've definitely had one go against us for pulling of a shirt, but then we don't get them when people when they pull our shirts. So VAR has to be consistent, and they're just not. It should work, but they're just not. They're getting it badly, badly wrong. The people that are making the VAR decisions are getting it badly, badly wrong with consistency. Uh, and what is supposed to be a clear and obvious error. Talking of penalties. I don't get it. Man United have received the most penalties this season. They've, they've had nine and scored five. Man City, Leicester, Liverpool, Watford have had four. Um, we've had three. And South, there's a few teams at the bottom with one. But the, it's the conversion rate for Man United. They've only scored five out of that nine, which is... And we're top, and we're top the man. Surprisingly, only two, and they scored them both, probably both by Harry Kane. Yeah, well, th- this time, this time last year, they was probably on about ten. <laughs> they <laughs> won every game by a, a dive last year. Do you know what I mean, so you stop them diving. So I'm in favour of stopping teams like Tottenham diving all over the place, which VAR works with. Wow! But like I say, the yeah, no, it's. Had- I want it to work, Dan. That's it. I, I want it to work, but it's not. Man United have had 9, 10, 11, 12 in all competitions so far this season. Oh. And they've uh, they've scored the majority of them. Right, move on to another section. Has everybody done on that for make a wiggle on to the next bit? Jolly good. Well, I'm not looking. I'm looking at my notes. Josh, Arteta, ask this on the last show. I'll ask you three on this one. How are you feeling about him so far and compared to how you thought about him when he was initially announced as the Arsenal manager? Uh, I'm more impressed than I thought I would be put it that way um it's still kind of early days though but the way he's kind of I would say turned us around because we're still being a bit 
dodgy, but the change in atmosphere and the change in drive from the squads has been great to see. Absolutely. I, I didn't think he'd be able to sort our defence out as well as he has. I thought, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that give us a couple of couple more games, possibly him another 10, could be a bit more rounded on what he's actually been able to establish with the squad. But the things he's got out of Ozil in the early parts of his tenure have been absolutely fantastic. It was a player that looked completely gone um, all round from kind of top level football. He looked like he needed to go out to, you know, pick up a pension in one of the small minor European or uh, further afield leagues. But his resurgence looks incredible. Uh, Aubameyang, to be fair, looks ambivalent to a manager of whether or not he plays well or not. Uh, Xhaka, I think the way he's managed to kind of reintroduce him under the radar, because he looked like he was gone in January, you know, telling us all to fuck off (laughs) as we're booing him. Some fans Uh, do need to be told to fuck off, Josh, don't they? I mean, yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, We tend to make sure that it's told regularly if not Jason Davis does it for us <laughs> but I think just the way that's probably one of the biggest things that I've seen from him the way he managed to bring Xhaka in because we know how important he is to the club there's a reason why he was you know how many games has he missed for us that weren't suspension or injury he's, he was barely dropped under Wenger or Emery and the fact he's kind of come back in I think the way that he wants to play as well, Arteta, will really help Jacker, and Jacker will help us. 153 games he's played. Yeah, and he's been here for what? Just under three seasons? Four seasons, yeah. Three and a half. So take away his suspensions because he picked up 15 yellow cards or so in his first 15 games. <laughs> season. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Gav, breaking news. Hijuan has scored. They're playing Watford feeder team. And they're 2-0 up. They've got Dabala, Costa and Hishwan playing up front. Isn't that great? Lovely. Lovely. Simon, your thoughts on Arteta when um, when he was announced and how you feel about him? Um, I was excited when he was announced. Um, felt like it was a risk, a gamble, but a, a gamble that was worth taking, I thought, for, for what he could potentially be. And I know there's a lot of people saying he's, he's never managed, he's never coached, but I mean, to have, you know, your references on your CV being Pep Guardiola, Pochettino and Wenger, you know, you can't get much more than, you know, a glowing references and that and referees and that. So I, I felt like Arsenal were at a point, you know, it got so bad under Emery and Freddie as well, I think, you know, got caught up in that as well, that it was worth, you know, giving someone the keys to the card to do a full rebuild. And the only thing I've been surprised about is how quickly we've seen, you know, differences and changes. Um you know, I, th- I thought against Manchester United, we were we were exceptional. Against Chelsea for large parts of the game, very good. And then we saw, of course, you know, those old tendencies as well where they switch off. And again, we saw against Palace, you know, those little concentration lapses that are still there. But for five, six games, I mean, the difference we've seen, you know, he's reintegrated Jacker, who we thought, as Josh says, was, was basically a goner. He's reintegrated Ozil and started to get the best out of him. He's made Socrates and David Luiz look like a viable centre-back partnership. Trail was our player of the month for December. He's playing Lucas Trail in the right fucking position. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he in, and he's done the things that I think a lot of us have said, but it's to do them so quickly. Um, and I think the, the only thing we're seeing in games is it, it, 
players can't quite do it for the whole 90 minutes. But there are certainly periods in games where I think all of us will admit, you know, bits of the Man United game, bits of the Chelsea game, where we're watching it going, fuck, this, this is really good. This is really enjoyable. This is this is how Arsenal want to play. And and a big thing as well, the last point I'll make, is, is the messages he's sending out to the squad and to the fans through the media. I think we obviously know what happened with Emery. You know, all of us struggled to understand him. We've heard about the squad struggling to understand him. Um, and with Arteta, it just feels like, you know, he's got a plan. And I think after that first press conference, I don't know about you guys or how much you watched of it or read about it, but I went to that first press conference and I came out of that and everyone was just like, whoa, okay, you can trust what he's going to do. And it's just the speed at which he's done it that's impressed me so much. And it's actually better for me, I think, that he's got this half season where, let's be honest, I mean, the top fours is, is very difficult to get, but he's almost got this as a free pass these five months. And I think that's going to be a big, big help for next season that he's had these four or five months to look at players, work out his style and get it implemented. A bit like Rodgers did at Leicester, you know, he had a bit three, four months. And I think that will make a big difference to, to next season, the fact he's had this little run-up with the pressure off. Can you clear something up for us? I said on one of the live shows that the players said they couldn't understand what Emery wanted. Was that mm. they didn't understand his tactics or they didn't understand him because of his accent? I think part of that, I think it just got to a point where, I mean, Bukayo Saka, you can go back and find it if you Google it, um, after the Frankfurt game, actually said the language was an issue and that he often had to go to Freddie to, you know, try and, you know, explain what Uno wants to be done. I think that was part of the issue. And, and for that, you know, we can't really have too much of a go at Emery because, you know, I mean, it's difficult to speak another language, all of us to know. I mean, my Spanish was absolutely abysmal. So, but I think there was also just a confusion over what the message was and the style of play. And I think all of us will admit that if we watch this season and one of you said to me, oh, describe to me how a Nunai Emery team plays. I probably couldn't really do it. And in, in five games under Arteta, I can tell you pretty much exactly the style of football that they play. You know, it's pressing with high intensity, it's playing out from the back. And I think it just got lost about what direction was, whereas now it's clear the style, it's clear the direction. And Arsenal needed that at a point where they'd pretty much hit rock bottom. Okay. I think that came from, uh, I, was, I want to say it was Julian Laurent, who had said that it was a thing at PSG as well, that it wasn't the language necessarily, it was the way he was trying to communicate his ideas and that it was all a bit fuzzy and the players didn't know what they were doing, as mm. well as, uh, you know, the fact that, as we, as we say, he's a multilingualist, which is more than, you know, I'm sure some of us, Danny, can barely say multilinguist, let alone uh, <laughs> speak another language. <laughs> there again, poor old, he's a London boy, he? and us London boys, we're not known for our ability to pick up on foreign accents. Gav, have you been impressed with how quickly the players have gone from, I don't want to know the club, you're dead to me, I'm leaving. Oh, M uh, Arteta, oh, this sounds good. I'm in, and then playing well again. That, that, like Simon saying, that turnaround. Are you, are you surprised? And how did you feel before he was an, um, when he was announced? And how do you feel now? Well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't the greatest fan of Arteta as a player, and you know, I've gone back and researched my tweets about the amount of times I've, I've slagged him off as a player, uh, but, and I wasn't completely overwhelmed that he was coming to us. But the minute he was, then, you know, you've got to back him. You've got to want him to do well. You've got to back him exactly the same way as, you know, I was back in Emory and praying Emory sort of turned us around. Uh, 
but the way he's come in, as the two gents before me, the way he's come in has been absolutely brilliant. He's been very, very cool, very, very calculated, very, very headstrong, very, very much his own man. His press conferences must be an absolute joy to sit in. So I envy you for having to, you know, for getting to sit there and, and watch him because he almost knows the questions. Before, he's, he's got the answer to the questions before you ask the question. He's not been surprised yet by one single question and he's already got the answer worked out in his head. So that to me tells me that he's a very, very intelligent man. He's very, very clever. It's the little things and the little changes that he's done. I mean, I think the style he's trying to implement isn't too, too much different to what Emery was trying to do. But it's the little things. It's the, <clears throat> as I said before, and I'm moving my hands about here and I know you can't see me. It's the Lacazette dropping deep and then it's the Abangyang and, and Pepe coming from wide making the diagonal runs into the middle. And as they're making the diagonal runs into the middle in front of Lacazette, you've got the left and the right back going into the space that Abangyang and Pepe have left behind. And it's the little things like that that you know he, he's saying, look, right, he gets the ball here, you take the ball, you move that way, you move that way. The, you know, the left back's going to go with you into the middle. It's going to leave you room here. And like I say, uh, Kalasinac, uh, I believe against the, I think it was the Chelsea game where he, he absolutely slaughtered them in the first half. He's, he's just a, a glowing example of just the little things. And... Arteta's got to get them little things right, and it believes he has. I mean, to the Palace game, uh, Maitland-Niles had a stormer. He absolutely come away with uh, Saha in his pocket. He's probably still sitting in his pocket now. And that's right? Saha who wants, but, he says he wants to move. He wants 250 grand a week, allegedly. Yeah. Maitland-Niles on still on YTS wages. Oh, well, <laughs> he's probably on a bit more than that, but... I, I would certainly have his week's wages for in uh, you know in exchange for my yearly wages. Uh, that's the point. I mean, the amount of time Saha uh, over the last couple of years has absolutely caused us grief, got penalties against us, goals, absolutely robbed us down that side of the pitch. And clearly Arteta has just said to him, look, he's your man. I don't want you to get forwards. I just want you to make sure he doesn't hurt us. And he did that all game. So his attention to like that, the minor details and the minor tactics in five games without a pre-season is immense. And like I say, I, I couldn't be happier. I, you know, I don't care where we finish up this year. Obviously, you know, obviously top half or sixth, seventh or fifth. Something like that would be nice. Obviously, it'd be nice to have a good cup run. But like I say... The, the manner in which Arteta has taken us forwards and taken us forward so quickly, I, I think is really, really a good sign. Simon, um, Gav brought up a point there, which I think is worth discussing for a couple of minutes. Hector Bellerin, wonderful getting forward, not the world's greatest right back. Do you, now it seems that after his injury, he's struggling to get that pace back, that initial, bur that initial burst of pace. If he doesn't have that and he's not a great defender, then do you think... Um, uh, 
Ainsley could become our right back because he's, he's got the pace, he's got the going forward ability. And can you learn defending at his age? Yeah, I, I think Ainsley's, for me, probably along with Aubameyang, Lucas Torreira has been, you know, the best player under Arteta. He looks completely mm-hmm. transformed. His confidence, his ability on the ball. I think it does help a bit that he, you know, he spends 45 minutes on that side of the pitch with Arteta, you know, who's clearly, you know, he doesn't sit down, does he, for the whole 90 minutes. And I think that does yeah. help. I've, I've not seen Maitley Niles, you know, this confident on the ball and gather spot on, you know, he, Zaha, you know, supposedly one of the best wingers in the Premier League. And Maitley Niles completely controlled him out of the game. And I really do think when Bellerin comes back, uh, you know, I think it was a point made on BT. It might have been Keown or, or Dixon made it in this week that, you know, Bellerin's not got that number two shirt for certain. Um, he's really going to have to fight for that because Maitland-Niles has, has made it his own. And the interesting thing with Bellerin is when he was at the club before Arteta and Bellerin was sort of, you know, first coming through, obviously, Arteta apparently was very, very helpful with Bellerin in coaching him, giving him advice, even though Arteta played midfield and Bellerin played fullback, worked with him a lot. So they've obviously got a good relationship. Um, so I think Bellerin, you know, will clearly be in his thoughts. He was linked with Manchester City when Arteta was there. So I'm sure he's a player that Arteta will like. But he's going to have to fight for that show. And rightly so, we need that sort of competition. My only concern mm. with Bellerin at the moment is that he's been having his, you know, hamstring assessed for what, about a month now almost? It's been, oh, he's almost back, he's almost back. And he's still not quite back. So um, it's always the concern with Hector, you know, with someone who is that, you know, explosive pace, these muscle injuries can become a bit of an issue. So that's a slight concern. But fingers crossed, I think when he's come back, we'll actually have a good bit of competition at right back. I don't know. That's the what? thing, though. I mean, ha- Oh, sorry, go on. Off to you. Yeah, I was going to say, also, the thing with Maitland-Niles, or at least the way that Arteta's using him, he's not asking him to do a lot of defending. You know, when we're in attack, we're kind of switching to a back three with yeah. uh, Xhaka dropping into kind of that left side of the back three and whoever's right centre-back, which Socrates kind of drifting out there. So Maitland-Niles knows he's got cover. And I think when Bellerin comes back as well, yeah, Bellerin might not necessarily have that pace he used to have, but he's also got a man covering him. The same with Torreira. Torreira was coming in and helping Maitland-Niles get close to Zaha. Now that we've got a defensive midfielder and a defensive system, I think Bellerin's going to find it almost like amazing when he comes back because he's going to have this system around him that's going to allow him to do what he does best, and that's going forward. And you don't necessarily need to have lightning pace as a right back. I don't think Alexander Arnold is, you know, the quickest Ashley Young. in the league. Ashley Young, exactly. Mm. There's, there's plenty of right backs out there. Uh, Rhys James, uh, who's doing great things at Chelsea again. Well, the one six nine. Oh no, no, that's the wrong one. That's the young one. No. You, Who's the right back of the kit going on about how tall he was? Oh, that's the left back. A six foot seven Dan Byrne. You can't write a piece without calling him six foot seven Dan Byrne at Brighton. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's now a running joke at Brighton, that one. It's ridiculous. Because every it's the only thing they've got written on him. But anyway, uh yeah, in terms of Bellerin, I think when he comes into the system, it's gonna be a case of who's got the better attacking outlet rather than Maitland Niles or Bellerin. Do you f- does, ev- does everyone think, though, that with the fact that Maitland-Niles has more or less had the, uh, the right-back shirt to himself for the last uh, five games under Arteta, does anyone think that even when Bellerin is fully fit, that 
he's still three or four games away from getting that shirt because he hasn't got the experience and he possibly hasn't got the training of where to be, etc., etc., underneath Arteta. So I do think even when Bellerin's fully fit, it's I don't think you can just automatically drop him in. I really, really don't. I think, you know, I think it's going to take him a, him a while well, to be in full training uh, and up to speed in full training before he's even considered. I, w- I would hope Maitland-Niles keeps it just because I think it will send the right message, you know, that no one can mm. walk back straight into the team. And I do agree with you tactically. I think Maitland-Niles has, has got a bit of an advantage because I think if Bellerin had been fit, he probably wouldn't have got as much for looking Maitland-Niles. And it sort of worked out no. quite well that, you know, Arteta's come in and he's he's fit and he's the man to take it on. So hopefully, yeah, I think it's, you know, it should be right that it's Maitland-Niles' shirt. Well, we saw in the Wenger days when Arteta was there that we Arsenal were notorious, like Dom always mentioned it, bringing players back from injury too soon, Bellerin, Arteta, um, Giroud, Sanchez, um, all of these players, they were all brought back too soon. And I think that's a good point that even if you're fit, first of all, we need competition at right back. And then you, you can't just go to. I, mean, I, th- we all, I think we all agree that Maitland Niles was shown the door by Emery too soon after covering there for what a season and a half. Oh, he's back now. Go on, get lost. You're not even on the bench. And I think that to do that to a young player can seriously damage their confidence. And you're not saying thanks but in any way. But I think that if mm. I think we've talked about this before on the pod, and people have said that you can't. You, um, that if if um, Ashley Ainsley wants to stay at Arsenal, he needs to adapt his game and play in more than one position. And I think this is his chance to prove that he, he has and he, and he can. And that would be brilliant for everyone. Well, Danny, said he, sorry, sorry, go. No, I was it. just going to say, Dan, are you, are you happy with Arteta? We haven't heard what you thought about Thanks. how he started. I liked him as a player. He sacrificed his career. He was a, he was the the creative. He was oh. the Earl at Everton. And uh, when he came to us, oh. oh, here we go. He's what are you doing? Are you chirping? Yeah, he didn't sacrifice his career at all, mate. He came as a creative midfielder and ended up playing defensive midfield for us. And then having the last two yeah, he years... Played defensive, he, pl- he played as defensive midfield because his legs have gone. Cheeky. I've seen he's got legs. How dare yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he, he was well paid to do it as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got, he, yeah he, only, he only got an extra three million off of his existing <laughs> Everton contract. Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't and he was think playing he... for like, you know... Yeah, but he still could. There's been plenty of players that can play in midfield. But he was asked to do a job, and he was getting kicked and getting in stuff, Dan, which Dan, is what we, we we lost. We lost Seth, we lost Seth Fabregas, yeah. and replaced him with somebody older whose legs had gone. Uh, right, let, let's not rewrite. Let's not rewrite history, mate. Uh, do you know what I mean, Arteta was paid very, very well to come to us, right? And he was nowhere near the player that Everton had pre-injury, and he was nowhere near the player he was for Glasgow Rangers. Right, and he was nowhere near the player that Fabregas was. He was a step backwards at the but time. Do you really think he was brought to Arsenal to be a defensive midfielder? No, he was brought as an attacker. He was a bought as a box to box midfielder. Right, but when we got there, they'd realised they'd, they'd realised that he was about thirty, and he could run about as far as you. He didn't have one of them dodgy Swiss and passports, did he? Where he was actually older. <laughs> anyway, my my point is, I still believe that he he could come to Arsenal. <laughs> midfielder and he, he played three seasons and his last two seasons were wrecked with injury and that's because of the position he was playing in the job he was asked to do he wasn't a defensive midfielder but Arson wouldn't go and TM Tifo Football on YouTube have just done a really good thing on some of the transfers Arsenal tried to do but Wenger fucked up by dilly-dallying and that's why he, I think he was playing that position anyway 
Um, I didn't want him to be manager. And as usual, I'm proved to be wrong because he's doing a damn fine job. But the players are behind him and the amount of outpouring of um, good luck that he got from people that are respected in the game, be they journalists, ex-players or pundits or anything like that. And there was not one person who come out and went, even Paul Merson didn't come out and say anything shitty about Arsenal like he usually did. So I think, yes, working brilliantly. But I'm not here to tell you what I think, am I? I'm here to winkle information out of you three cheeky monkeys. <laughs> the next thing I'm going to move on to... Um, <laughs> Um, Arteta, we've done tactics. We've covered a little bit. Um, Josh, what's the one the m- one most important tactical change you've seen, whether it be positional, whether it be um, a player playing in that position, or whether it just be one thing that you see that and go, yeah. I, like I think the biggest thing, which seems like a no-brainer, but obviously wasn't for the guy in before, was having Torreira play defensive midfield. I think... Mm. That's been one of the biggest things. Mm. And we've built a kind of shape behind him as well. It was the same before with that kind of back three that we now kind of build when we're attacking. When you've got Xhaka and you've got David Luiz who can ping that kind of long diagonal, we've got a player that can do it with their left and we've got a player that can do it with their right foot and can properly open the pitch and get our wingers in. I think the way that Arteta is using the fullbacks as well, Maitland-Niles had said under Emery, I think one of the reasons why he got binned out so quickly was that he didn't want to play right back. You know, he always saw himself as a winger or in central midfield. The way that Pep uses his right backs was always, especially at Bayern Munich, was having Joshua Kimmich come centrally. And I think we've seen that with Maitland-Niles as well. He's not always overlapping. He's sometimes coming infield as kind of an inverted right back. Um, yeah, I saw a thing about that on YouTube today. They were saying that they like the right back to come in and the left back to go forward and then vice versa when the other one's attacking. I, didn't, I hadn't even noticed. Yeah, so you'll see that uh, normally we'll have the left back going forward because Kalasinic doesn't know how to defend and we'll have Xhaka dropping in. <laughs> uh, but I haven't seen it with Torreira doing a similar thing. It's been Maitland-Niles coming more centrally. And although he's on the team sheet as a right back, he's playing more as a kind of midfielder which then kind of settles his kind of want of where he wants to play on the field. I think that's the really important thing that we've kind of brought a player back that we need as a nominally to play right back and do a decent job there. And he, he obviously seems happy to be in that position because I think he would have been one that would have been looking to perhaps make a move in January. So as you are an official hipster, is it the new hipster term, the inverted fullback? Uh, yes. Sounds like uh, some kind of inductive uh, system. Uh, yeah, if uh, the hipsters blog still exists, I don't know. Probably did you not. Do a blog on it? <laughs> yeah, I did a blog about Pep using fullbacks when he came to Man City. Man, end of your times, you're like um, J.R. Hart. I'm not yeah. Socrates, the the clever one, not the f- fat Greek one. Simon, what's your one thing about the tactics that you've gone? Oh, that's <clears> tickled. <throat> uh, work rate off the ball, I think, for me, has been the been the main one um pressing as a unit and, and not as individuals i think again like a lot of the stuff we've seen it in in phases um i think against leeds we saw you know th- that first half against leeds anyway we saw a throwback to that emery era where we sort of realized jesus that's that that was what it was like when the players didn't work off the ball second half they picked it up against united and chelsea they were superb at it and and that for me is the best thing i've seen the work rate off the ball pressing as a unit, winning it high up the pitch. And that'll be something that will take time. 
but I think that's that's the way that the best teams, the top teams, play. You know, a lot there are sides you like to soak it up and counter attacking, but I think if you really want to aim to be one of those best teams in the country, which is what Arsenal should be aiming to do, you've got to be one of those sides who can press well. And for me to get that shades of it, get elements of it so quick, I think's the best thing he's done so far. But I agree on Torreira. I think he's been fantastic. But I mean, we said all, all year on here, just play him in his actual position rather than, you know, number 10. Jolly good. Uh, Gav, like me, you're multilingual. Do you know what Spanish for dolt is when Emery's watching Torreira play in the right position? And uh, what's, what's the bit that you like the most? Uh, que do? Ah, I knew you'd know. Que do? Yeah, no, it's good though. Uh, no, uh, like I say, I mean, I, I agree completely with the two other fellas, uh, with exactly with what they've said. Uh, Torreira's been brilliant. Uh, I'm loving the inverted left and right back. That yeah. I fucking hung <laughs> going. Right. Uh, as what I said earlier with regards to uh, Lacazette dropping deep, which bulks out the midfield with the left and right wingers diagonally cutting in with. Uh, Louise looking to play them balls to that sort of position in the pitch with the inverted left and right backs getting uninverted uh, and swipping over as the players are cutting inside. But all of this is down to Arteta speaking to the players, getting his message across and more importantly, confirming that they know that message. It's all right telling players that, and let's be honest, ninety-nine, you know, ninety percent of football players are fucking thick, right? So, but what Arteta's trying to do is, he's teaching them where to be, what to do, what to do in this situation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and he's obviously doing that through verbal communications and through doing drills. So, what I'm most impressed about is basically everything Arteta's doing. Even his clothes. I like his clothes. Or I'd like him to wear a suit and tie, but I'll forgive him because he's wearing nice jumpers and nice jackets. I'm sure you could send him a bruised banana scarf, Gav. Well, I mean, George Graham had a lucky red scarf, didn't he? And uh, if Arteta wants a scarf, then it's uh, uh, shewar at gmail.com. Get him to send me an email. Uh, and yeah, I'll send him one on to him. There you go. You're nothing if not giving, Gav. That's why we love you. Uh, okay, right. A quick bit on on Martinelli. Uh, start with you, uh, Josh. The notes I've got. Will he now get a run of three starts now that Alba is out? How long will Arsenal be able to keep hold of him? And should we be using him sparingly when we know that Real or Barcelona are going to steal him very soon? Make of that what you will. Uh, I think we'll see him in the next game uh, against Sheffield United. Because we haven't got any left backs, have we, Simon, from the press conference? I think that's what I got from it. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was because the team news came out before and it sounded like Klasnach was going to be fit. And then Arteta said he's going to be assessed a bit, but it, it sounds like it's going to be Saka left back. So. Yeah. So Saka was going to be the one I thought would play left wing over Martinelli. Mm. But if he's going to be playing left back, then yeah, I think we'll see him. Uh, down the left side, down the left hand side. Do you reckon? Yeah, down the well, left hand side. It could be Nelson's yeah. the other option. Whether he, he does, he, he does seem you know big fan of Reese Nelson. I think he's played, started three out of the first four, definitely. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, between so him and Pepe, isn't it? Whether or not yeah. they've rotated. Yeah, exactly. On that right side. 
So if you had to put a, a time on it, Josh, how long before um, Barcelona Real Madrid come in and steal him? Oh, um, I mean, if there's any money laundering to do in the deal, they'll be in next week. But mm. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is where he's going to be. Yeah, uh, but otherwise, I think we'll get away with it for another couple of seasons. Uh, I think the fact that we've got mm. Edu in, David Luiz is in as well. There's that kind of Brazilian this in the camp um yeah we is, Ma- is martin Mart- is martinelli's agent the same uh the same fella who is a agent oh um kia what's his face i think hmm. he was a family member from memory because he's like fourth division isn't he so it's normal martinelli like, yeah, yeah. I don't think it is jab oh. jabton was the one who brokered the louise deal hmm I'm just looking here, see if I can okay. it out. I'm going backwards in my pages and realising I've spent too time, too long looking. I think, I think Martinelli is a lot better than we all thought, and I think to a degree people at the club thought because there was an there was an understanding that he was sort of going to come on pre-season and probably go out on loan, and then Emery saw him was like, oh shit, he's actually much better than I thought. And um, well, that was a, that was the same with Doozy, wasn't it? Well, Doozy was yeah. bought to fit out the under twenty threes. Yeah. So I, and I think Martin is fantastic. I think he's not quite coming under Arteta. Arteta seems to favour Nelson, partly because I think he knew Nelson when he was at the club. Nelson was sort of coming through the ranks, and everyone knew about this kid. And Arteta, I think, knew a bit about him as well. Um, but for me, Martinelli, yeah, it's fantastic. It's off the ball as well. He was one of the few players under Emery who properly worked, and he was the only positive I thought under Emery this season. Yeah, uh, same. Same agent as Vinicius Junior. You uh, shitbag! I was about to say that wrong closing. I mean, I'm never looking again. Fucking oh god! Here's, an, here's, here's another one. Going, going back on what you just said, do you think that Reese Nelson is becoming Arteta's sort of like almost pet project? Do you think he sees something in him that yeah. perhaps he saw in Sterling? I'm not saying that, you know he's never going to be. You know, I'm not saying he's ever going to get to that sort of standard, but. Do you think that, that Arteta has seen something in him? Look, he, think, he's sort of similar in that respect. I think what helped Nelson a lot is he had a season away from Emery as well <laughs> when he was off at Hoffenheim. And under, <laughs> Nug, under Nugglesman... He started off well there and then faded, didn't he? Yeah, he, um, uh, he got into a little bit of trouble. Um, what was the word? Yeah, disciplinary issues. He was, he was late for training, though, and he said it wasn't his fault. It was the traffic, didn't he? He was in the Nagels and said, I don't care, you, you're you here on time no matter what. Yep. I, I um, think I, I think Nelson needs a bit of the bit of the whip. I think he needs mm, it a bit. Yeah, and I think we've seen that from just press conferences that Arteta doesn't take any shit from anybody. So I think we, he's going to be a player that does well for him, but I think the fact that he worked under such a big tactical manager, young tactical manager in Nagelsmann as well last season. That's going to have helped him kind of understand how different tactics kind of work and not been too confused compared to the rest of them who were trying to try and, you know, clear the deck, say, forget everything that Emery taught you for that last 18 months. Here you go. Here's a, a load of that's new that, tactics you need to absorb. That's, that's, that's another thing about Arteta, which I've been... Well, a couple of things I've been happy to see. Obviously, he's trying to keep a more or less consistent playing uh, so that they're all getting used to playing with the same people, etc. But <clears throat> at the same respect, <clears throat> he ain't been shy by putting the young kids in. I know we haven't literally got 
that that much choice. But you know, like I say, I think there was one game the other week where we had uh, two academy boys starting and three or four on the bench. So he, he's not being shy in starting them, and he's not being shy in, in bringing them on either. So no, now that I'm ahead with, with Nelson coming in, he wasn't a player that mm. I thought we would have seen at all under Arteta because mm. of how badly he'd played in the first half of the season. Yeah, Arteta would have been, was at the club when Nelson was would have been fourteen, sort of fifteen, and everyone everyone at Arsenal knew this kid was, you know, the nuts. And then the same with Sancho when he was coming through, you know, Watford and City eventually nicked him. Those two were best mates growing up. Everyone knew they were absolutely brilliant. And I think with Nelson, what we saw, what we hope will happen is what we saw with Sterling and Sane, where Arteta coached them into better players. And Nelson, I think. A thing that annoys me when I watch Nelson is he does something fantastic. You know, he'll beat a man, great bit of skill, and then his end product's not there. And you compare him with Sancho, who's gone away, you know, leaps and bounds, gone on. The difference the difference with Sancho to Nelson is when he beats his man, he delivers, you know, it's either a killer ball, it's a good shot or something. I think for Nelson, he's lacking that end product in his game at the moment. But I, I think Gav is spot on that Arteta will make him, you know, his little project because... He knows the talent that Nelson's got and everyone at the club knows the talent that Nelson's got. It's just bringing it out of him. Well, that's almost the hail end blueprint, isn't it, for a winger? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually play right back. So. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, another thing as well. So uh, presumably Arteta was taking his badges at, during the end time at Arsenal. And surely yeah. he would have done training sessions with Nelson because they normally stick him with, what, the under-16s, under-14s? Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, he def- he def- he's he's mentioned before in press conferences. I think after one of the games that he knew he knew Reese when he was a young lad. So he knows all about him, and and I think we we see Nelson needs coaching, but um, I think Arteta could be the man to to, to bring it out of him. So I think another Dan. one that he was sorry, uh, Dan. Go on, Cav. We're gonna, Dan, Dan, will you shut? Will you shut up, Dan? We're gonna chat here. <laughs> I put my hand up this time. I want to speak. Go on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Go back and sit in the corner. Yeah, no. Uh, I'd say moving on to another one. No, because like I say, I've, I've again, not like say I've really got a thing for wanting the academy kids to come in and do well. And Danny will tell you for the amount of time the length we've been chatting on podcasts and stuff about how much I used to slag off the uh, the boss before the boss about the fact that we were just getting nobody through the academy. He nobody was getting be a chance. My gap ever again. <laughs> I, I promise you, Dan, I won't mention him. And I promise you, I won't say the word cunt either. Oh. <laughs> Go on, then. No, but uh, uh, Willock. I think the way he's playing Willock at the moment, he's always around the squad. He's always in the squad. I think the way he's bringing him is, and the way he, he knows his role when he's coming on late in the game, I think that's very, very good by Arteta as well. Because he's not, he's not chucking him in. And he's not hanging him out to dry, which unfortunately uh, uh, Emery did a few times. But I think the way he's dealing with Willock as well has he, been, been very, very good. Yes, well, I agree with all of that a lot. Um, oh, okay. Well, right. Lovely. Simon, yeah. how long do you reckon we've got Martinelli for before he gets stolen? And he will get stolen, won't he? He's, he's not going to do a, a Tony Adams V until he's in his mid-30s. Oh, I said this in another WhatsApp group. I was like, yeah... Barcelona Real Madrid come nick him this summer and everyone was like oh no 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 fuck off fuck off but in reality I was like you, you know he, he looks like in three four years he could play for a, I mean you know one of the great 
you know, big. I'm talking about the big boys, the Real Madrid, Barcelona's. He looks like he's got it all. Um, but the, the hope is that we, you know, will be you know a, a bigger club in sort of three, four years, and he can grow with us. And I think um, there's no reason why that can't happen. But if I was any club around Europe, I mean, they'll be having a look at him, thinking, "Jesus, where did Arsenal find this bloke from?" And his contract. He obviously signed one when he came, but I imagine you know, end of the season, start of next season, his agent would be like, "Oh." He's probably worth a bit more than he's been paid when he joined it, just to let you guys know. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if something right. like that happened. For those listening on iTunes, you've just missed a glorious double crotch shot by Josh as he came up and went full Magic Mike on, on his camera twice. I don't know why, but you've, you've missed that. So go and have a look at YouTube. It is, uh, ladies, it was quite the sight. Gav, how long have got Martinelli for? <laughs> oh, Josh, what was your... I was going to say, I can tell you why. Uh, my heating just came on. Uh, so I need to turn my boiler off, otherwise everyone's going to hear it. Look at you being a professional. Uh, Talking to professionals, Gav. If you uh, if you can stop by <laughs> vaping for five seconds, <laughs> <What's Ooh. that? laughs> how long have we got Martinelli for, and how excited are you by him? Mm, I think I have no idea, Dan. I hope he stays for a good few years. Do you know what I mean? I hope he puts it, you know, whip. The sad thing is, is we're almost at a point for the next few games that we've got to rely on him to get some goals. So the pressure's literally, the pressure's very, very much on him in the next uh, few games. So we'll see whether or not this boy is going to, you know, turn into a man in the next couple of games. Uh, who knows? Is he, he ain't banging him in like Anelka was in 98, is he? So, and then Nelka in 99, but you, you can see that the, the kid's got talent and I hope, I hope we get a good three or four years out of him. Like I say, I don't think he's, you know, he ain't going to be a lifer, is he? Do you know what I mean? Mm. But hopefully we'll get a few years out of him, but I'm more worried about how he's going to do in the next two or three games than I am whether or not he's going to be here in three or four years' time. That'd be a bit of a test. You, you also have to kind of hope as well that if he is moving on in three or four seasons that we've got the likes of either John Jules or Balogun who are currently in the academy pushing through and are challenging him for a starting place anyway so it's less of a loss where did John John Jules go to he's Lincoln Lincoln yeah is it it me or is that a bit of a weird is that me or is that, that a bit of a weird one if you've ever been to Lincoln, it's a very weird one. Very strange place. Oh. It's like the Norwich of the North. It's got a lovely cathedral. I would, have, I, would, I would have thought he would have gone to a championship team, though. I don't think... Mm. I don't, unless he's gone there. Like I say, the only reason I can think that he's gone there is the fact that the manager said, look, we're going to start him every game. Because he, he, he was meant to go there in the summer, but then Leeds came in, I think, mm. a more attractive offer. That was in Katia, wasn't it? That was in Katia, yeah. What am I talking about? Oh, of course, yeah. No, Leeds. I was just thinking, and, and Katia's gone to Bristol City people, then listen to what I just said before that, because I was thinking ahead of what I said. Has he officially gone mm. now? I think the... No. No? No. 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 It, actually, it went on the club website yesterday. Oh, that's what I saw. But um, I, don't, I, I don't actually think he's decided where he's going yet. I think it's... Um, I think it's between Bristol and Sheffield Wednesday now, but Bristol I'm pretty, City. I'm pretty sure it'll be Bristol. They thought they had him in the summer. They booked in his medical, everything, and then he buggered off to Leeds. So, 
Bristol City have just um, released one of their strikers as well. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, right, next. Eddie's got, do... Eddie's got... Go on, okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> what are you going to say now? It might have been gold. I was just going to say, wherever Eddie's going, he's got to be playing every week. Yes. Because the Leeds thing weren't doing him no favours. Every time he came on, he scored for the first half a dozen games, and then it all went a bit fucking slow. Yeah, well, that was worth waiting. And that fellow that was playing in front of <laughs> Yes, right. I'm putting a little oh, on there for Josh. Right, shush now. Shut up. Right, I'm going to go through transfer rumours. People love this bullshit. So I've broke it down into three sections. Players I've heard of. Um, if anybody thinks this might happen, just just shout because I'm not looking at the screen. Um Titi from Barcelona. Is that going to happen? No. 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 Have I said it no. right? No. 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 <laughs> All right, here's one I'm definitely going to get right. John Stones from Man City on loan. Is that going to happen? No. Stone as no, they got no. Their Man City got an injury crisis at centre back. Yeah. They're not going to loan out a fifty million pound set. And also, they've got an issue with the homegrown and having British players. They got no space for foreign players. They can't let Stones go. There you go, transfer no. market. Stick that out of your bum, right? Could, I could see it's in the summer, maybe, possibly. Dries Mertens from Napoli, who from memory was a midfielder when he went there, and they went, let's give him a go up front, and then he scored 100 goals or something. Is that going to happen? That was a June one in the summer. Yeah, he's on a, he's on a free in the summer. It would make, it would make sense if you're looking, looking, looking for a goal-scoring winger backup option. would make sense. Uh, Two-year contract. It would be a short-term fix. It would be an odd signing, given... Another Louise. Yeah, I think it would be an odd signing. But a free transfer, they might think. No, it's worth a pun. Jerome Boateng from Bayern, centre back, thirty-one years old. No, it's not happening. Yeah, that's our kind of signing. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's on the table anymore. I think they did look at him, but I think this it's... next one's a bit weird because they've only just bought him. Frank Kessie from Milan, centre midfield, twenty-three. Oh yeah, he was on loan there. It was one of those weird ones, you know, where um, Italian clubs loan them for like a year and then buy them. He's been uh, there for a couple of seasons. Uh, Milan need to sell, don't they? So, I, I think the issue is I don't think we're going to spend this month. Mm. We will loan and we won't spend. How about we've we've got the budget, Rabio? About the real thing, Aiden Adrian Rabio for Juventus centre midfield, twenty four. Possibly no. on loan, possibly on loan, mm. but I can't see Juve loaning him out for they'd want with no sort of option or obligation to buy. Really, so I can't. So I was listening to a podcast and they have an abundance of central midfielders there, most of which they've got mm. a bugger all or on a free. I think they is- prefer to let someone someone go other than Rabio. I think is Kadira still there? Emre Chan, Emre Chan, they're trying to get rid yeah. of here's, here's one. What about you? Midfielder, Juventus, Aaron Ramsey. Oh, Never heard of him. <laughs> Sounds wrong to me. Is he Scottish? Oh, I don't know. Uh, There's a Brazilian right. chap we were linked with as well, isn't there? Unless you're going to come yeah. up. Don't ruin it. <laughs> that's not coming up though um, <laughs> two more I've heard of Thomas Lamar Madrid left mid, left-sided midfielder 24 no no I think he's I think he's available we don't need a left-sided we don't need a left-sided no. midfielder centre mid or centre back we've got three players who can play there centre back or centre mid you've ruined this then yeah pronounceable Milan left wing 25 no I'm do that one for you no players I've never heard of you right ready Josh yeah, Simon. Did Jen? Is this the Hitler hit section? It certainly. <laughs> you can have a lay down, and I'll do my best to. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> I'll put myself on mute. 
Tajini Dakonam. It sounds Japanese. I don't think Bless he you. is. Gita, thank you. Gitafe centre back 28. Never heard of him. We were linked with him in the summer. Mm. Um, and I think the January before. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's agent talk, isn't it? More than anything. No, I don't think so. Okay. If, you're an, if you're an agent, you're trying to get your centre back a new contract or a move. It's pretty easy to link them with Arsenal. Mm. Uh, the next one mm. is Bubakari Samar from Lille, defensive midfielder, barely out of nappies. He's only 20. No, I think no. it's a bigger club. Uh, they want big money for him as well. Of course mm. they do. Excellent. All right, then. Talking of being in nappies, Henry Kumwenda from Leeds, a forward, is 18. Possibly, could, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be in the first team, does it? That sounds like a one for the no. 23s. Okay, right. Bruno Gomez from Atletico Panarense in Brazil, centre midfield, 22. Yeah, this is an odd one because this was his. The president of the club came out and said, Yeah, we got an offer from Benfica. Oh, yeah, and Arsenal interested as well. Just sort of threw it in there. I don't know whether it was done sincerely or to make Benfica play more money but obviously we know Edu's got links to Brazil and found Martinelli or helped in the process of getting Martinelli so but again I think that'd be for the summer and I think the president said that that Arsenal only wanted to do a deal in the summer it'd be about 25 million quid so I did hear that we were linked to some young Brazilian right back but I can't remember who it was Danny Alves Right, as Gav has been very good, he's had fingers on lips, sat in the corner, cross leg. It is four for you, Gav. Ones that are going Mustafi to Galatasaray. Hopefully, excellent. Granite Xhaka, Hertha Berlin. I think that's ruled out now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah he's there. Trey no, Napoli. That's almost definitely ruled out. Yeah. All right, the final one, Lacazette. He ain't going nowhere. No. Is there anybody, anybody mm, know anybody who no. might be leaving, either be on oh, loan or sold? Well, we said that we were going to loan 12 players out, didn't we, in January? Because we, we only had five out at the beginning of the season. Oh, three. Got, kind of three, three and four. And four, and four. That's a, yeah, well, three have gone. Oh, no, four have been... Four was on loan at Macedonian team. He's now gone mm. to a uh, Polish team. That's four. Yeah. You were saying about Nketiah. Mavaponos has gone. Yeah. Mustafi will go if it can get someone in, I think it's the general consensus. We won't, They won't let him go without because they can't have... He's, we've got four centre-backs now. They can't have three. What does that so, say about Mavaponos? No. That he's gone to a German second division well, team? He, he needs to play there, doesn't he, Mavaponos? Yeah. Desperately yeah. needs to play. Still got he's, time. He's, he's, he's part. No, no he's, he's he's getting a bit too old to not play. Because there was an article you know on I mean? She like Gav. Had a quick look there at was, that. What, sorry, there was an article on She Wars yeah. saying it could be the end for him. Yeah, yeah. Keno's did an article today uh, this morning about him, and I think he got it bang on that because of his age now, which he's twenty-two, and he hasn't played much for two years, then. Really, it's, it's shit or bust time. Do you know what I mean? He's got to have a very, very good loan spell and come back a better pl- and come back a new player, or it's going to be a loan and they'll sell him in the summer. Okie dokie. Right now, we're going to move on to listeners' questions with Josh. And Josh, when you've done with listeners' questions, like a lovely piece of pottery, smooth it down, hand it to Simon, and he'll do fives for him. Excellent. Well, Danny, I'm going to come to you for the first one. Uh, this is from Glenn. DITM in the US of A, uh, at the risk of being, oh, he's typing. I've lost my place now. At uh, risk of being skewered, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Jack is resale right now. 
is very good. We always moan that other teams never want to buy our players we want to sell. We all know what he did without a proper apology. Believe me, I would shut up about this if he did. But now, because four good games in a row, I've become the minority of wanting to see him move on. Try and be nice and tell me I'm wrong, especially you, Danny. That's because I was on the Gooners pod with Mike and Andy and Glenn sent that question in and then Andy just said, he was sticking the feet, he's telling you to fuck off and then left it at that. And I thought, <laughs> I don't know why Andy did that. I think he was being uh, prodded by Mike, but it's a good question. Cheers, Glenn. <laughs> then you'll hear Glenn on quite a few of the other uh, up-and-coming young podcasts. I've heard him a few times. He, he reminds me of one of the blokes out of Sparks. He's, uh, he's of my generation and he's, uh, he's a bit of a dude. Um I think that I, I don't care. You can go up to the fans. You can hit a fan for all I care. I, I care about what you do on the pitch. And for me, Xhaka, I have waited for Xhaka to be used properly for so long now. The whole of the 18 months under Emery wasn't used properly. The Freddie era was like a drunken night out. You don't really remember what happened. You just move on from it. And I, I like I like Xhaka. I like what he does. I like having bastards play for us. We have Kolasinac, we have Xhaka, we have Torreira. <coughs> We've got three bastards in there. Um, we saw a game last season where it kicked off a little bit and Xhaka and Kalasnitz ran up to the situation. And then no matter who you are in the league, you're going to see those two fucking mentalists running up to you. You're going to think, oh, fuck, I'm not getting involved in this. So now we've got um, Treya playing in his proper position. That means Xhaka can go play in the midfield a little bit more, drop back when he needs to. And I don't care what he done. So I know um, that some people would like an apology. The only apology we got was uh, one written by his agent, I should think, or maybe written by the club that obviously wasn't by him. But it's it's ticked the box of an apology. It wasn't a proper one. But no, I'd keep him. I'd make. Uh, I'd even consider making him captain again because Obama Young isn't really a captain, is he? Oh, Danny tickling the, the uh, nipples of the angry Jacker out people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Danny, you might need to sit back for this one because I'm going to give this one to Gav. This is from Matt L. Roberts. Would you rather have KSE in charge or, and I misread this as Alan Dedicote, you know, the voice of the Bulls, um, but it's Aliko Dangote, I assume, in uh, in the next year. So I think that's the uh, Nigerian and Africa's richest man who said he's buying Arsenal. Mm. Yeah, that... that... That Nigerian fella tends to say he's buying Arsenal about every 18 months. He has done for about five or six years now. Uh, I don't think KSE will ever sell. I, they've got no history of selling clubs. Uh, as part of the We Care Do You stuff uh, that happened in the summer and that has continually happened, uh, I would like to see KSE change their ways, uh, not only from a monetary point of view, but also from how they speak and communicate with us as supporters. Uh, I would love to see them go personally. Uh, as Minoff, who's now pumping stupid amounts of money into Everton, would have been ideal for us. He was the ideal fit. Uh, but I'd hate to say anybody but Stan and Josh, but I'd have reservations about this Nigerian fella. Because anybody who's my mate, like I say, again, going back to a WhatsApp chat that I, that I had yesterday and this morning, and all the fellas on there won't listen to this anyway. 
uh, one of my mates said, you have to worry about anybody from Africa who is a multi-billionaire. Like Eastern Europeans. Yes. I don't well, think it's even worse yeah. than that. It's one, it's, one of, it's one of the poorest continents in the world. And you've got the richest person on that continent. How did he get to... He, either he's a very, very intelligent man or there's something not quite kosher about stuff. I think anyone my, with my that kind of money, my, right? Yeah, exactly. But like yeah. I said, I mean, my mate who said that is actually his heritage is African. So you know, it, it's you know, it's not like it's a it's a racial thing. He just knows. He's a, a my mate who said it's a very very intelligent fella uh, who's very very clued up on all African and Middle East politics. He he blows my mind with with stuff, and that was his comment. You've got to worry about a multi billionaire. In, who's come from a very, very poor country. So, yeah, that's my answer. Fuck them all. <laughs> give it back to, uh, yeah, give it back to the fans. We definitely know how to run a club. I've seen it on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. Sorry, this one for you. Uh, this is from Kyle, who I assume, based on his question, probably tuned out Danny on the last section for something other than transfer talk uh, or who will replace a Bamiyang. We are nine points worse off due to referee decisions. I think if you've seen that table that went round about if VAR wasn't in, Sorry. Um, what would you do to make things more consistent? Well, good question. Um, I think there's an interesting thing. Hour. Yeah, how long you got? No, there was an interesting thing that um, Kike Sanchez Flores said in his whatever it was, 20 minutes at Watford this season when he was in charge. And he was talking about VAR. And he made a, quite a good point that I hadn't thought of before, was that basically was saying, right, he was like, referees are inconsistent. And what we've done now is we've got a bloke looking at it and we've now got another bloke looking at it. So we've just doubled the inconsistency because we've got the man on the pitch and the man at the monitor. So all you're doing is now getting even more inconsistency because you've got more cooks spoiling the broth. And I do, I do think it's a valid point. And I think you'd, also, you'd almost have more consistency if you just had one bloke doing it. And maybe in that respect, you could have that one bloke going to the monitor at the side of the pitch. But I think scrapping referees being overruled by VAR would help the consistency simply because you reduce the number of people looking at a decision. You've all of a sudden got all these voices, all these people looking at a decision, which just means you double you know, the subjectiveness and the confusion causes and, and you lose consistency. So I think that would be my solution. Have either just the ref do it or the ref does it by looking at a monitor. Yeah, I That's think that. Good. Cool. Well, I'm going to hand over to you that. as well, Simon. It, Thank, uh, oh, yes. A bit five four. Oh, yes. Five four. I mean, I'm, it's an interesting one tonight. And it is on the theme of VAR. Um, so the question for Fires Forum was, VAR, do you like it? Does it work? And is it killing football? Uh, Matt L. Roberts says, VAR does work. We saw it in the World Cup in 2018. It's just those who operate it don't seem to get the idea, to be honest. You could get armchair fans to do that job better than they have at Stockley Park. Uh, one-armed bastard, what a fantastic name, says, I love VAR. It obviously works. Less incorrect calls, more objectivity, and it will only get better. It's not killing football. People who don't like VAR are only those who enjoy narrative more than actual football. Fair football is better than goal celebrations. Try living this century, VAR opposes. Kyle Ooh. says, less the tech and more the laws underlying it causing problems. 
rule book needs updating. I agree with that. Absolutely, the handball one. Uh, Miko says implementation in the Premier League has been woeful. Generally, not a fan of VAR, but it's used a bit better in other major European leagues as a ref can actually view the replays on the pitch side monitor. Do it in the Premier League too and make the ref give the final decision. And Mick Clark says no, no, and yes, simples. There you go. Anyone want to chime in with their answer to the Fives Forum before we have the nods? Anyone, anyone's views on VAR like yeah, it? No, no, I mean, it, it is killing it. It is definitely killing it, and it's definitely killing it for people inside the grounds as well. Uh, I'm in favour of the fella that said that the ref on the pitch should have the final decision. And I don't believe a ref should be giving a contentious penalty uh, or red card or, or anything like that without him actually seeing it himself. If the ref doesn't see it, then VAR should blow him in the ear and say, look, you missed something here. I think you've missed something. Have a look. And the ref should go over and have a look at himself. But I want to see the man in the middle, or indeed the woman in the middle, if we're being politically correct, as Danny told me, I have to be these days. Yes. Right? Because the only woman who does it, her name is Sean. What a wonderful name for a woman. Yeah, she's quite nice as well. Not your daughter. No, no she's a right. We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're both lovely, then. Right? Uh, but yeah, no, the uh, the person in the middle with a whistle, they should make the final decision. That That's what bugs me about it all. Yeah, I think the final thing is, is when... Sorry. The, yeah. the, the other... Yep, sorry, the other thing with that is our referee on Saturday, Mr. Mike Dean, could you imagine him getting blown in the ear hole saying, I think you've missed something, and it could be like a punch in the face. He's so, so about him, he would go on over there, look at the screen, see someone lamp someone, and then still not give it, because it's got to be him. It would be all about him. So that's my only problem is referees' egos when they're being told you've missed something, something's wrong, going back and have a look at it. Referees have to be, they have to be a little bit more humble about it. But at the end of the day, they have to be the ones that make the final decision. Yeah, I was going to say it's also about the fan experience as well. Like mm. when you're in the ground and a VAR decision's given, or at least not given yet, but they're going through that analysis process, it's just a nightmare because you're completely clueless. Um, I've experienced mm. it a couple of times this season. You're like, what's going on? Just, I think if you have the monitor, you should be broadcasting that on the screens in the stadium as well. Yeah, I don't think you lose. Well, they've, any... got the, they've got the, they've got, the, they've got the technology to do it. Yeah, uh, the only two grounds that don't have screens in them are Old Trafford and Anfield. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy theory; it's just factual. They don't mm-hmm. have big screens in those grounds, but it's a. Uh, it's something that they're not losing anything by showing what's going on on the big screen because everyone in the ground has seen the incident once already. So seeing it from another angle doesn't... Sorry, you go, Gav. Go, Gav. Yeah, no, sorry. Just going back a, a little bit in time a little bit. When the screens first started appearing uh, in grounds, uh, the FA made a decision that contentious issues wouldn't be shown back on them screens they could show back a goal but they wouldn't show back any contentious issues because they was worried about crowd trouble inside the ground now i don't think in 2020 that is the same problem as it was in 1995 do you know what i mean mm. so 
I don't think that that should be an issue. But that that might be one of that was the reason initially why you couldn't show like offside goals or contentious decisions on the screens inside the ground. So, but I think the FA have really got to get with the times and the fact that the hooliganism inside Premiership grounds these days is basically zero. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say the reasoning I, I think is that they're worried about, you know, showing the contentious decisions because they do show on VAR, don't they? They show if a decision gets overturned, they show the replay so you can see. So like with the Bomiang, they showed the instant after he got the red card, they showed everyone in the ground, look, this is why the red card is. But, you know, like it, we see it in mm. rugby, isn't it? They, you, everyone's there in the crowd watching it. And, it. and what that does as well is it takes away the frustration at waiting. Because if you're all seeing what they're all looking at, you can perhaps see, oh, I can see why he's taking another look at that, because that's actually quite close. Whereas if you're just sat there looking at the screen said decision pending, you'd be like, what the fuck's going on? So I, I really think they need to trust supporters to be able to show them what's going on and trust them to not behave like Neanderthals and start punching each other and fighting each other. And I think they need to do that. And, also, and they won't do it as well because of the fears about play, hearing players swearing and stuff, but they should have referees mic'd up so we can hear... You know what they're saying? There's a great clip on Twitter from a while back. You might be able to find it. But in Australia, they've trialled it where you can hear the referee mm. and you can hear him talking to him going, yeah, right, this is what's happening. This And, and it makes it so much better when you can hear the referee. If, if you can find it on Twitter, he, it's so much better. That, sorry, that, that Australian fella mm. <clears throat> now does now does VAR. Does it? He's over it. That was, yeah, that was his... I think that the, the clip that they showed was his last was one of his last games mm. and he now works for the FA mm. and I think he's he's refed a couple of championship games and he's done a couple of premiership VAR games as well yeah. but an Australian an Australian Arsenal supporter actually messaged me about him uh, and said look his very last game was their cup final and he made a few howlers and his local team lost because of the howlers <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah but there you go. You'll probably start reffing us soon. So. Righto. Mm, we've been well, going. Can't, can't be worse than Mike Dean. <laughs> right thirty-seven. It's time to uh, to start wrapping this up. And we've got uh, gentlemen's nods. So you'll all have a think about who you'd like to say hello to. I should do the podcast one. It's thanks to Michael Harneman, Ryan Cost, and Jay Roll for your donations during the Crystal Palace game. Very kind of you. That has all gone straight down Josh's Y fronts. Because he's uh, so he can do more uh, magic mic stuff in front of the camera. <laughs> um, Simon, have you got someone you'd like to say hello to? Yeah, I'm going to go two nil Giroud. That's my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I'm actually going to do it to uh, our good friend Dave Gunaholic. Um, this is the first time I've been on. Um, since his passing. Uh, I mean, Jace has done quite a few pods since then. He did one straight in the aftermath. And as he always is, you know, we know Jace is brilliant with words. And he basically said all I, all I could say, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to, to pay my respects. Um, I think we all loved him. And I think all we saw from every outpouring from near enough, every single Arsenal fan on Twitter. I mean, my timeline was inundated with it. Yeah. And the club themselves making a statement as well told you we need to know about the man. He was utter class, treated everyone with respect. Didn't matter if you're prince or pauper, they didn't care. He would give you his time of day and he'd give you respect. So that's my shout out is for him, for an absolute legend of an Arsenal fan and, and a top bloke. And also always, oh, yeah. um, everyone at ABW too. Josh, 
I know that'd be hard to follow, so you might have something whimsical. If you do, I'm sure the listeners will understand. I, yeah. I know. I mean, it's really difficult to go for something that's a, on the complete opposite. Uh, but lighten the mood, I, lighten the mood. Yeah, I think that's what Dave would have wanted. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to go to shout out my mate Sam, who's uh, who might be listening, who might not be. Um, he got diagnosed with bonitis this week. Uh, oh. If anyone watches Futurama, they'll know that reference. Um, if not, you can just move on. <laughs> okay gab as uh all your millions of fans that uh, would you like to pick one out that you'd like to say hello to no no i just like to say hello to everybody who's uh messages me every now and then to ask when you back on burkamp podcast we miss you we only listen when you're on there so i'd like to say hello to every one of them if they're still listening bless them and uh not hello to anybody in your whatsapp group because as you said none of them are ever going to listen no, no, they're they're not podcasty people, mate. Okay. Do you know what I mean they're? Uh, they, no. If in fact, in fact, a couple, a couple, maybe one or two of them might. Tell them to. No, I don't. Do you know what I mean, I, well, they know when I go on. Do you know what I mean? And I say, you know, this is worth listening to, or this one was fucking boring. And, you know, <laughs> they 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 listen if they don't. But this this has been entertaining, even though you know. You've lumbered me with a couple of bloody hipsters, Dan. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Apart from that, they're, they're no, they're not. They're nice, intelligent fellows. It's been it's been perfect. Right, lovely. My um, gentleman's nod is going to go to the same old Arsenal podcast. That's at same old AFC. Craig, Lee, Harry, Graham, uh, Mems was on there. Uh, Harry, I've already said Harry. Oh, there was one other. There was oh. six. On there. I can't remember the other one. Um, Dan, that was it. They celebrated their 100th podcast this week, and it's brilliant. They've been doing it for two years, and along with the Gooners podcast and the one that Tom does, it's, it's my favourite Arsenal podcast. Yeah, so go and give them a follow. Go and say hello and join in with the live chat. They do just like we do for our live shows. They do all their podcasts like that, and uh, it's really good. Lovely people. So the uh, only thing we've got to do now is, as I scroll back up to make sure I've got it in the right order, is upcoming shows. Unlike usually, I've got this written down. So this Saturday, Sheffield United, it's after 3 p.m. So it'll be the 5 p.m. roughly. It's going to be me, Ellis, and uh, Jason. And then on the Tuesday after that, it's an 8.15 kickoff. So that means it's going to be about quarter past 10. No one's going to be awake for it, apart from if you're in, in the Americas. It's uh, John. Josh is hosting. Did you know that, Josh? Yes. Um, oh. It will officially be about a 40-minute show. Maybe less. Danny's <laughs> running out of credits and uh, someone needs to do a quick show. Yes, we do. So that'll be a 10-minute show. To, otherwise, we're going to go over our 20-hour limit. And it's going to be you host with John and Femi. And Femi uh, made his debut the other day. How was he? I didn't watch the show because I um, uh, I had to edit it. to it. So, no, no, that was back in the, the, the early 80s, Gav, because I'm all grown up and old now. I'm more happy to have um, cheese. So all that uh, is to do is to thank you in reverse order as I introduced you. So thank you very much for Gav. Where can people thank find you, you on, on the internet? Uh, on Twitter at SheWar. Is that it? Yeah, no, Dan, I don't want to no, I, I want to come on here and have a chat with you about the football and bollocks. I mean, I don't want to have, have a chat and blast out what I'm doing with my lovely products on shewarshop.com or anything like that. If you don't want to, don't do it then. 
No, I, I promise you, Dan, I won't mention that I run an Arsenal-related shop at shewarshop.com. Don't do it then, because uh, no one will know what that is. Uh, talking about people who work for quality websites, Simon, where can they find you on Twitter or in the written word? Which is Find Twitter. me on Twitter at, uh, at SR underscore Collings. Uh, you can read my guff on standard.co.uk or if you live in London you can pick up the evening standard uh, I'm in it most days uh, mainly covering Arsenal I'll be there on Saturday um, so yeah give us a follow give me some abuse most people do um, <coughs> happy days lovely and Josh um, where can people find you if they want to come around for a cup of tea and a slice of Eccles cake oh uh, they can find me at BN Josh and if you slide into my DMs maybe we can sort something out Lovely. <laughs> you are cheeky monkey. Me, you have an only for fans website set up soon for going closer to the camera. Soon. Seven. One day. It's already there, Gav. Sorry. Uh, that's yeah, if you check in my uh my Twitter bio, maybe find <laughs> my only fans link. Oh that's <laughs> And I'm not telling you where you can find me. You can bug off. I don't I don't talk anymore, giving up. Right, so we have done it in one hour, 44 minutes. That is pretty good because we said we go an hour and a half. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We have been the Chris Carpenter Tribute Act. We're all off to plunder some booty, some bounty, and maybe even some bounties. We will see you again on uh, Saturday straight after the game. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.